The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Football Frenzy at 4 O'Clock here on Cofield & Company. Got Candy and Von Tobel Ari back at the studio. No Cofield today. Get on in there. The life of a Giants fan, I'll be very honest, over the years has been fruitful. It has been rewarding in my lifetime. This team has won the Super Bowl four times, but um, it is currently not an enjoyable exercise to be a fan of the New York Giants, John. Um, And it is largely because you go into every year realizing that as long as Dave Gellman is the GM of this team, you probably don't have any chance of them getting better than they were the year before. They have picked second, fourth, and sixth in the last three drafts, and they are no better than they were prior to those three drafts. Um, how have you enjoyed the stylings of Giants GM Dave Gettleman over the years? I mean, technically, that's I mean, you're incorrect though, right? They, they've been moving up in the draft every year, second, fourth, uh, second, fourth, and sixth. So I, saying- actually, I said I gave you it out of order. It's second, sixth, and fourth. If you do it in order, um, I just was. Uh- no. but close enough. Close <laughs> enough. Hey, you can say they're at least keeping up their level. I I uh, I love Gettleman, dude. Uh, I think this is for a guy who doesn't not root for this team and just gets to cheer and watch from beyond. Uh, I think it's incredible. Uh, was it last off season that he forgot that was it the Big Ten title game or whatever it was? He didn't realize that uh, Daniel Jones or one player was playing in the wrong conference. Uh, like the guy is incredible. I love the guy. We we make fun of um, we'll we'll call him a post boomer. He's a little older than that. Uh, Dave's well into his 60s. Former GM in Carolina, GM of the Giants for the last few years. Uh, John and I both enjoy the analytics. We both think that the crazy notion of better ways to organize and utilize information to make your team better could actually be a good thing. Um, There are those who don't agree. You mean optimizing your chances to win is a bad thing? Stop it, nerd. Not like that. The way I said it, not the way you said it. Not the uh, Dave Gettleman was the guy who got up there at his introductory press conference and talked about the nerds and made the little keyboard click motions with his fingers. Um, he had his annual off-season availability today before the draft, and uh, there were multiple points in this at which not only were analytics insulted, uh, fantasy football was insulted, uh, many different versions of you're not as smart as me were thrown out there by Dave Gettleman. He was asked about whether he believes that there is a window for the Giants to compete when Daniel Jones is still on his rookie contract. Uh, here's what Dave had to say about that. I mean, you're too, you, you know, you're, too, you, you, you're, you're giving me the window theory, Tom. Is that what you're talking? I don't. I'm sorry. Doing windows, yes. Yeah, we're doing windows. I, I don't. You know, Microsoft Windows is nice, but. I'm not a window theory guy. I'm, I'm just not. I never have been. I never will be. So we're going to keep move, working the process, keep getting better, and we'll win when, you know, we'll, we'll get there. John, you were the one among the three of us who had not heard these clips prior to now. Uh, what do you think about Dave's opinion on windows? The window theory? Like, what are we doing? It, like, that's kind of the thing that bugs me, and Gettleman's not the only one. Where you clearly like take a common phrase and just spin it way out of proportion, like the window theory. He's just asking you 
if you can get this done in this certain amount of time. It's not a window theory. It's a simple question, bro. What are we doing? Dave Gettleman is sort of refuting the idea of time in general. Like, listen, man, I'm not on anybody's schedule here. Like, we'll win when we win. I'll die when I die. Like, we'll all live. Everything will be fine here. Don't worry about it. Adam, people have won championships post-mortem before. I got time. It's window theory. Come on. Well, at this pace, I'm going to be dead before they win another championship. Um, he, he, of course, was being asked about Daniel Jones' rookie contract, in which right. he is into year three of five because, of, Dan- of course, Daniel Jones, a consensus second-round pick, was taken with the number six pick <laughs> overall in the draft. Um, he, he was asked, do you think that Daniel Jones is for certain your quarterback of the future? You know, you, you do your evaluation. We've had Daniel for two years. We've done the evaluation on him, and we really believe he's the guy. So it's it's no reason to, you know, no reason to go look. I mean, everybody, you know, what we're doing isn't fantasy football. We're not playing. We're not doing that. You know, we've, we, we've got a conviction on him. He's everything we want. He's got all the physical skills. And, again, I, I, I say this all the time. You know, the, guy, the kid just finished his second year of, of NFL football, all right? How many of us, after two years at our new job, were great? How many of us, John? How many of us, after just two years of the five that we have our quarterback on a rookie contract, how, how many of you expected him to be great after just those two years? Or did you expect that Daniel Jones this year would check in as the number 18 rated quarterback by pro football focus in year two. Okay. So obviously I was incredible the second year of my job, um, everywhere I've gone. Fair. Here's fair. You're an exception. Right. Uh, but here's the thing though, Adam, usually in a, in the normal world, right? If we enter a job, I've got a little bit longer, right? My window is a little bit bigger. Because- I don't believe your window Right, because my employer is not looking at me as a ticking time bomb and saying, "Man, in about three years, I got to pay this dude a lot of money. That's going to take up a majority of my bankroll, and I won't be able to hire anybody else." <laughs> like, so well, he's right in that. I guess right, people take a long time to get acclimated to a job. And not all jobs are created equal, and your job is you got a guy win now, bro. Because if you if he's everything you think he is, you're going to have to pay him. And then it makes it a lot harder to execute the ultimate goal, which is to win a championship. Daniel Jones has done very little to prove he is definitely the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants. Uh, Those of us who do not believe in Daniel Jones think that it's probably time sooner than later to move on from him. But I have interacted with Giants beat writers who basically say one more year, right? One more year. And you know what? I can live with that. I can live with the idea of one more year. But Dave Gettleman talks about it like he has infinite time and you just made clear because he only has till the end of that five-year rookie contract to make a decision and realistically probably the end of year four because you got to make a decision before that you don't have infinite time with this guy and then Dave Gettleman talks down to all of us saying well we're not playing fantasy football here Dave two of the last three league MVPs the most recent being Lamar Jackson were quarterbacks in their second year in the league So I do think it's fair to ask the question if after two years and the guy is performing at the level below 
the midpoint of the league if you have the guy. But Dave keeps wanting to talk to us like our Windows theory is no good. Um, by the way, John, did you immediately distrust him like I did when he said that Microsoft Windows is nice? Oh, yeah. Well, as long as he didn't say Windows. Windows Vista, whatever that was, as long as not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I, don't you think Dave's more of a Windows 95 kind of guy? I think Ari's a Windows 95 guy, but not by choice. That's true. I, yeah, I think Ari's, Ari just learned and learned Windows 95 and was like, that's it. I'm not going anywhere past that. Uh, NFL talk here on Cofield and Company continues in just a moment with our buddy Q Myers on the Raiders. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. A big trade for the Patriots, big, like actually huge. The Patriots, I'm told, are trading for former Raiders offensive tackle Trent Brown. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Tuesday afternoon with Cofield and Company, and if it is the middle of the 4 o'clock hour on a Tuesday, you know who's with us. It is our guy from over on Raider Nation Radio. Q Myers joins us on a big day in the NFL. Uh, Q, do you think it's possible for any NFL reporter to talk about Trent Brown without talking about how he is a large human being? Because it seems like that is all (laughs) we ever hear. Trent Brown's a huge guy. No, that is always the first thing that they say about him. Matter of fact, it was so funny when uh, the news broke early, early this morning about it. I was going back and forth with a couple guys, and I was like, well, hey, I can put out a quick video and talk about it. Uh, you know, I don't think it's really that big a deal. And they're like, he's 6'8", 300-something pounds. It's a huge deal. So, no, credit, oh. they always have to talk about it. Good Lord. Trent Brown is like a walking dad joke for everybody in the NFL. Like you've got to do, you got to do the big thing. Got to do the big thing. Well, Trent Brown heads to the new England Patriots in a trade today, a pick swap and a restructured contract sends him from the Raiders back to where he of course had the best years of his career in new England. What'd you think of the move here, Q? You know, I I actually was surprised that the Raiders were able to get anything for him. I thought ultimately they were going to end up releasing him, and I know that reports have come out now that said that they weren't. They were just going to try to restructure his deal. But they end up sending him to New England. They get a 2022 fifth-round pick in return. They send a 2022 seventh-round pick. I don't really worry about the seventh-round pick. A lot of Raider fans, I'm surprised, man, are so upset about the seventh-round pick in 2022. But, okay, it is what it is. He restructured his deal to, to go back with New England, and that's where he was a star. You know, he did really well there at the left tackle position, and he went out there and he made a whole lot of money. He ultimately loved being a member of the Patriots, and he clearly didn't love being a member of the Raiders. And, and ultimately, he wasn't available. You know, 16 out of 32 games he played with the Raiders, and only four games and one snap in 2020. So, I mean, you know, the Raiders performed without him, and I know that he's better, and their offensive line is better, a lot better when he's out there. But at the same time, he was only available for four games and one snap in 2020. So I feel like Tom Cable kind of knows how to overcome the the fact that Trent Brown won't be there. And I don't really honestly think, guys, it's that big of a deal. I think it's kind of what everyone thought was going to happen. There's no way he was going to be there under $14 million, get paid $14 million for a guy if you don't know he's going to be there or not. 
Q, you know, I, I would generally agree that it's not that big of a deal, but I would think that the reason why people get upset and why this seems like a bigger deal, it, it's the it's the call, it's it's the addition of this to like the pile, essentially, right? It, it's right. consistently selling for pennies on the dollar. It's consistently not getting the most out of guys that you're acquiring. Like that's kind of a troublesome trend, no? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. No, if you put everything together, absolutely. But if we're just talking about Trent Brown. I think after two years, the Raiders realized, hey, this guy's not going to be available for us when we need him. And so they moved on. But, yeah, you want to talk about acquiring A.B., fail. Tyrell Williams, fail. LaMarcus Joyner, fail. And not all because of the players, some of it because of the team. Like LaMarcus Joyner never played him in the position he should have played in. So, yeah, there's fault to go around. And since Gruden has returned and Mayock has joined the fold, you could say that they got, and I've mentioned it before on the show, they received five first-round draft picks. They've had five since Gruden back. And really, Josh Jacobs is the guy that you know is a good player, and everyone else there's still questions about. And, and that was on the, on the heels of the Mac trade, the Cooper trade, and, hey, here you go, this team's going to be rebuilt. They're going to have all this free agency money. And really, I mean, there's been a lot of whiffs. So that, to the team, to their fault, they have to figure out how to improve that. And now they have a year where they only have one first-round draft pick. You better get it right this year, and you better use the cap space that you created you better use that to be able to build this team up and, 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 and construct it in the way that they can survive a whole season and get to the playoffs. And right now, any Raider fan, and they've hit me up all day long, I don't have faith in John Gruden and Mike Mayock. That's the that's consensus that I continue to hear all day long. And i, I got to be honest, I don't blame them because right now you, you only fall for a banana in the tailpipe so many times before you say, okay, you know what, show me before I believe that this is really going to be true and you're going to get it right this time. So, Q, we've, we've had a couple of the examples of, again, like we were talking about, selling for pennies on the dollar. What about a couple of these examples of essentially guys not seeming too happy with the Las Vegas Raiders? Like, what do you make of that? The the dreaded word, the culture of the Las Vegas Raiders. How come it doesn't seem to really work out for a couple of these guys, namely A.B. And, and a guy like Trent Brown, who, by the way, on social media, seemed really happy to get out of here. Yeah, again, Trent Brown loved being in New England. Uh, Trent Brown didn't want to leave New England before. He actually talked to, to Sean Reed from The Athletic. I saw the piece that he put out talking about, you know, he didn't want to leave New England. It was a sad time when he left, but he had to go and get the dollar. And the Raiders gave him the most coin, uh, gave him the most opportunity to make money, so he took it. And he thought that, hey, this could work out, and it didn't. The culture thing is, is you know, it is a question. It is a concern. Uh, you know, winning cures all. If the team was winning, if they made a deep run into the playoffs, I'm sure you probably wouldn't hear a whole lot about the culture. I think Trent Brown is a guy that has to have more structure. Some, some guys are built where they have to have structure. They can't have a coach that's a, a player's coach and really kind of, uh, you know, relax and let them uh, self, you know, self-police themselves. Sometimes they have to have guys that hover over them, like a Bill Belichick, you know, what we hear about reports of what he does. So I can see where he would thrive. I mean, look, this is not his first team. I mean, he was on San Francisco, he goes to New England, he goes to the Raiders, and now he's headed back to, to New England. So you know that you know a real deal right tackle or left tackle, and he's played both, those guys are a premium. If you can get them, you hold on to them. There's a reason why he's moved around multiple times in the league. I mean, they, they haven't got the right fit, and clearly New England was the right fit. So, you know, I know there's, there's reports I saw. Uh, what was his name, uh, Mongo, Mongo on, on Twitter, uh, Feliciano, John Feliciano, who used to be a member of the Raiders when the report came out that Gabe Jackson was going to get released. He, he put out the tweet, I bet you he's happy, and, you know, put a little expletive on the end of it. You know, basically, he's got to be thrilled to get out of there. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's true. Who, who knows? I, I feel like winning cures all, and if the team was making a deep run in the playoffs, I don't think you'd be hearing a whole lot of these reports. 
Myers joins us here on Cofield and Company. You're right. Um, they're not winning, and we're into year four of the Gruden era, year three of the Mayock era. And you talk about whether fans trust these guys to use the cap space and to use the draft picks, and there is a clear record that indicates thus far that it has not been successful on the whole. So now you look at this offensive line cue, and you say, I know I've got Colton Miller at left tackle. I know I've got Rodney Hudson at center. And that's all I know. Um, and right. I'm still trying to protect Derek Carr and keep the good side of my team, the offensive side of my team intact, while I still have to rebuild the defensive side of my team. So now that you see some of the cuts that they've made with LaMarcus Joyner going, maybe Incognito yep. comes back, Trent Brown is gone, where should they prioritize using this, this cap space that they have? Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, I, I look at it. I've been talking about uh, the draft that's coming up. I've been talking with a lot of Raider fans about this. The, the tackle position is very deep in this upcoming draft. I would not be surprised if they went and got a tackle at number 17. Uh, the young man out of Virginia Tech is a, is a really good left tackle, who Daniel Jeremiah said today on his, uh, on his press conference, his, uh, his draft pre, pre-draft presser that he had today, that he could see him sliding over to the right tackle position for the Raiders, and he'd be okay with that. Um, you know, but... There's, there's a lot of questions. You know, I think that similar to what they've done in years, like last year they went and, and spent a lot of money and they spent a lot of draft capital on the defensive side of the ball, and you see you didn't get a lot of return on your capital. So I think that maybe, uh, you know, Gabe Jackson, he still has not been officially released, so maybe they're still trying to restructure his contract. Maybe he returns. Maybe he doesn't. John Simpson, they used a fourth-round pick on him last year out of Clemson. I expect him to slide into one of the, the starting roles. If Incognito comes back, great. If he doesn't, he played in, what, two games in, in 2020? So I, I have confidence that they'll be able to build this offensive line and, and be solid because they did it most of the year last year without Trevor Brown and without Richie Incognito. So I'm not feeling too worried about that as long as they re-sign Denzel Good. And I do believe that he's up for a nice, a nice uh, contract extension because he earned it. He was a guy who no matter what position they asked him to play, he went in there and did a really good job. So I think he gets re-signed. I think Simpson plays a role. Uh, I think that there's some multiple um, – veteran free agents that are going to be out on the market. Look, um, uh, what, what's it? Kyle Long is coming out of retirement. He's, he's a guy who, who wants to play again, you know, and, and uh, Thune, Joe Thune from the Patriots, he's not getting franchise tax, so he's going to be available. I think in free agency, they'll probably go and get a veteran or two for the O-line. I also think they'll use some draft capital on the offensive line, and then I think they start, they start to turn their attention to, to uh, the defensive side of the ball and get Gus Bradley some help. I really feel like, and this is just a gut feeling, I know nothing, this is just a gut feeling. I feel like there's a big trade that they're going to make, and I'm not saying necessarily like it's going to be the quarterback position like everyone's anticipating. I think there may be a big trade on the way for the defense or a big splash that they make on the defense that can help be that alpha dog that they just don't have. I'd like an alpha dog. That'd be good. Exactly. That would work. Thought, yeah, you could bring an alpha dog in. Uh, Q Myers can be found on Raider Nation Radio every day, and he's always kind enough to give us some time here on Tuesday afternoons. Q, thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. Hey, absolutely, man. Anytime you call, you know I got you. All right. Sounds good. When we come back here on Cofield and Company, the Mountain West tournament was going on in Vegas. Uh, women's tournament's already going on. Men's tournament starts tomorrow. Did you know? Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Time now for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. 
Step on into Club 99 with Jonathan Von Tobel and Adam Candy here on Cofield and Company on your Tuesday afternoon. I-, I was going to talk Mountain West Tournament right off the top here, but we do have breaking news that we need to get to. Uh, when we last heard from Tom Brady, uh, he was doing a very rare thing for Tom Brady and seeming like a relatable human being. Uh, stumbling off a boat in Tampa Bay after one too many avocado martinis and looking like he had really, truly enjoyed himself at the boat parade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. But, uh, John, that can't last. Tom Brady cannot seem like one of us for all that long. In fact, you discovered this breaking news that Tom Brady is teaching all of us mortals how to make smoothies on TikTok. Yeah, so apparently he posted a video of himself making a smoothie. In the smoothie, uh, we have blueberries, TB12 protein, of course, pumpkin seeds. He's got me so far, uh, and bananas. It's pretty good. The problem is, is he's as he is showing us how he makes the smoothie, he unpeels the banana and then snaps off the end of the banana. You're thinking, okay. The bottom half of the banana, usually I, you know, when I'm eating a banana, I'll pinch that off so I don't get like the bottom weird part of the banana. He pinches off both ends and like they're good chunks. It's not even like a, a little piece of it. It's like the whole end of it. It's really weird. Is he some sort of banana truther? Like, what is this? Why are you getting rid of the top of the banana? The top of the banana is universally adored. Right. The top of the banana is fine. It's the bottom of the banana that's the disgusting part of the banana. Now, for those of us who are enlightened, you know, you open the banana from the bottom because you never have any trouble breaking off the top then. You open it from the bottom, and then because you're opening it from the bottom, all you have to do is grab that little bottom piece. It goes away. It's gone. Banana bliss. But Tom Brady's getting rid of the top of the banana. Where in the TB12 method do you think being sort of an avant-garde man with fruit is. Wait, I'm just still shocked. You open the banana from the bottom? You ever had a problem opening a banana from the top? I mean, yeah, we all have. Right? Yeah, we all have. But then when you're a next-level thinker like me, you say to yourself, there has to be a better way. And so I turn it over. I break it from the bottom. You know how many times I've failed Zero. I feel like that's Zero. not true. Never once. Never My once. wife this morning just broke the top off of a banana because it was being unruly. The peel would not crack. Oh, yeah. You see, see, an unruly banana is a different story. That's not what Tom Brady was doing. Tom Brady was just trying to look smarter than all the rest of us by taking off the top of the banana. And you know if you ask like his snake oil salesman health guy, he's going to be like, oh, no, come on. No, nutritionists have been saying for years that the top of the banana has no nutrients. Well, actually, and here's my thing. So I actually kind of know this. Um, the banana he uses is kind of black. That's when the sugar count is at its highest with the banana. I'm surprised oh. he's allowed. I'm surprised he's not using green or like you know greenish yellow bananas. Like that's that can't be part of the TB12 method. Oh, he's he is going to have to deprive himself of, of cranberries for like two weeks to make up for this, don't you think? Right, like that's definitely the last banana that he had. There's no without way. question, without question. All right, it's Club Ninety Nine. Rate it. Oh, like a zero, like a one. Yeah, Both I mean, ends. 
you still actually ate some of the banana. So for your smart, healthy choice, and uh, you boys can see the banana peel from what I just consumed on the show here, I'll give them a one, but I'm not rating them any higher than one. A one for choosing the banana. 98 points removed for being a weirdo snaps off the top. Good you know gracious. What? I just realized that too. We watched you eat the banana on the video chat. You didn't open that from the bottom. Hell yeah, I did. Look at it right now. Here's the top. Right? Take a look. Oh Here's God, the top. Here's the bottom. Oh! I'm going to go get a banana and try this out. Listen up, gentlemen. Both of you might not have a combined age as high as mine. When you get to this age, you'll learn how to make life easier with things like how to open the banana. Um, I don't know. I, I hope better for you. I just I hope better for you. We'll, we'll talk about West Tournament later in the show. We had much more important things to get to here. Uh, you know who else we're going to talk to about bananas? A man who I bet knows a little bit about enjoying the fruits of life. Sam Paniotovich coming up to talk sports betting with us on our Ion Gaming here on Cofield and Company in just a minute. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. We welcome in our man, the one, the only Sam Paniotovich of Nesson, of Fox Sports, of sports betting fame far and wide. Sam, we got to start with something that we were talking about on the show as sort of a test of higher level thinking. Which end do you open a banana from? The top, always. Yeah. I hope that I can, as a higher level thinker, save you some trouble in the future by just giving a shot to trying opening it from the bottom, which never fails. Not once, not ever. I had to learn it later in life, but you know, you'll get there. You're a smart guy. What are my benefits? Because I, I will totally admit I am learning about benefits for the first time. So I, I just can't, you'd be proud of me. I actually just put money into my 401k for the first time. Whoa, so I didn't, whoa, I didn't know what that Wait. was. I didn't know what that was a week ago, and now I know what that is. So I need to understand the benefits of the banana from the bottom. Wait, Sam, you have four hundred and one thousand dollars? No, no, not even close. No, I used to work at Visa. I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> uh, fair, fair statement. Fair statement. Uh, the benefit is that you will never a waste time of your life on a half green banana fumbling and fumbling and fumbling and thereby destroying the top of the banana as you press the damn thing in and two you will always enjoy the banana the way it was meant to be enjoyed without that little bottom piece and with the reward at the end being that you get the top when you get to the very bottom you flip it upside down flip it and reverse it it's the way to go uh, you know work that's on interesting because i never i always throw the bottom part out you might be onto something here Okay, give, give it a shot. Get back to us next week and let us know how it went. Um, we know that you're filling up that 401k by the day, not just with your salary, but uh, you told us that you've got some action going right now. I believe you were involved with at least one team I have never heard of. What are you sweating at the moment? <laughs> well, JVT knows who the Bryant Bulldogs are. Uh, they were right. my team from yeah from November. They were... They were on that tear. We started uh, playing their overs early in the season. Their total started out like 145, and 
they got as high as 163, 164, 165, so we blew that sucker up, so that's long gone. But they're in the Northeast Championship right now, and uh, I hate to tell you, they're actually having an ice-cold first half. I, I saw they're one of those teams, they just fly up and on the floor and just shoot threes. I think I just saw that they're 3 of 14 from 3. So um, when they don't make their three-point shots, they also don't get back, so... They're down right now. I got a minus four and a half. They're down four, two twenty-three to go in the first half. So I'm sort of sweating, but I don't, I'm not that nervous yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's it's champ week. There's always a way to fight back, man. There's always a way to get back into it. Um, big news of the day, of course, comes from the NFL. Myers Leonard. Oh. Uh, that is that is that is a different league with different initials that we will talk about in just a little bit um, because we can't wager on that. Although, frankly, John, if we could have wagered on what we heard just a few minutes ago from Myers Leonard, we probably would have been right. But let's talk about the NFL here for a second. Dak Prescott re-signs with the Cowboys. And what do you think about the odds, Sammy, for them to win the NFC East? We were talking a little earlier on the show about the fact that that division is obviously wide open for anybody. I don't even think it's wide open. I, I think if they don't win it, it would be a major disappointment and a colossal failure. Um, but if you notice, I mean, I was looking at the screen last night and checking the prices around the world. They, they really didn't change that much when Dak resigned. So, I mean, the, the bookmakers, they were pretty adamant that he was going to run it back. I don't think that they thought he was going to get the money and the length of the contract that he got, but... It was almost uh, you know, a decided deal that he was going to come back at least on the franchise tag. So the market didn't really move that much. And, and you look at that division, you know, minus 110 to win the East. It's funny how people view the future market against the you know, four beers in Sunday afternoon NFL market. Like People will go, oh, I'm not laying minus 110 on a future. Yeah, but you'll bet the Jaguars plus nine when you're buzzed, the same odds. So I, like, I, don't, I don't understand like, why people are so upset. So against lining up minus 110, I mean, the, the football team doesn't have a quarterback. The Eagles are turning over the offense to a very young quarterback that's going to have ups and downs, and the Giants are the Giants. So I, I get that the Dallas defense was not great last year, but they also were 27th out of 32nd as a team in time of possession because they're starting freaking Andy Dalton and Garrett Gilbert and the other guy, the Italian kid, Ben DiNucci. Uh, you're not going to have the ball. You're not going to maintain the rock when you can't, you know, you can't even move the chain. So if, if everybody stays healthy on offense, I just, I don't understand how minus 110 is not a good pop right now. What, uh, what kind of a quarterback would it take for you to look at Washington, Tim? Because I personally, like, this a team has obviously won the division last year. They have one of the best defenses in the NFL. You give me like a Ryan Fitzpatrick on Washington, I think they should be the favorite to win it. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know that Fitzpatrick moves my meter. Um, I don't know. I mean, I saw this report that, you know, Ron Rivera wants to bring Cam Newton to town, and I, I don't think that's the answer because Cam, unfortunately, from a physical standpoint, just isn't the guy he used to be. I mean, he's just he's not the same player. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick is definitely a, a hike up from Alex Smith. I, I guess they like this Heineke kid, but I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, he actually played pretty well against the Buccaneers if you really think about it, but I, I'm a fan of their defense. They have skill position players, but if you don't have a quarterback, man, it's tough to fire on that team. And the numbers tell you that because you could find Washington right now, like four to one to win the East. I think it, it is where it is for a reason. And they don't have that quarterback yet. I guess if they get one, I'd, I'd second, I'd second guess myself, but 
they might not even get one. They might roll with the kid, Heineke. Yep. Sam Peniatovich with us. All right, UFC, uh, what was your observation on in-game wagering, in-fight wagering with the Ultimate Fighting Championship? Because what fascinates me about mixed martial arts and in-game is there is no algorithm, right? Like, there's no algorithm that's checking scores in time and, and setting numbers for you. Largely, it's the odds makers watching fights and setting numbers. And it can all change with one hit, whether it's a good hit yeah. or an illegal hit, right? I mean, we saw that with Jan and Sterling where – some of the books after the third round were minus 3,000, minus 3,500 on Jan. I mean, Jan sort of flipped the switch after that after that second round. He really had a good third round, and I just think his physicality was clearly weighing on Sterling, who did not have a good fourth round. He was getting his ass whooped in that fourth round, and he goes down to a knee, and, and Jan knees him. Somebody said William Hill International was offering Jan minus 10,000 at that point in time, which – if you watch the fight, it was probably a pretty accurate number until Jan delivered the knee to the head. So you can have a good number. You can take a stance with your numbers, but you also can be totally eradicated by just the wrong move at the wrong time. And I'll tell you what, I didn't, we don't have legal wagering yet in Massachusetts. Like if I would have had the ability to bet on Blahovich in like the fourth round, I would have pulled it, JVT. I mean, you're, you're a yeah. UFC guy. He was up. In the third round, I had him up two to one, and he was, what, 20 pounds heavier than Adesanya? Plus, Adesanya was the public favorite, anyways, that everybody had parlayed and bet live. Like, it was sort of like the square dog who was 20 pounds heavier and was clearly taking control of the fight. Like, if I could have bet Lahovich after the third round or fourth round, I would have done it, and I could have gotten plus money still. I think it's teaching us that we can watch the UFC fights. And we can see what happens in the first couple of rounds. And we can make our adjustments from there. We don't have to make a position anymore pre-flop. We can watch, learn, and then react. And I think most people don't do that. They don't think of it that way. That's how I'm going to sort of pursue UFC, I think, going forward in some of these fights that drag on. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. One of the uh, the larger in-fight in hits that I have made uh, was Holloway and Volkanovsky, too. We're going into the final round. Volkanovsky was like plus two. 70 somewhere in that range uh to beat holloway and I actually thought i had lost it because i thought he lost the final round that he ended up winning it uh, but your point's solid where you can get some pretty good dog prices and, and the cool thing is sam is it is essentially human on human right like it's not a, a machine that is sending these numbers and has a lot of numbers and statistics to back it up it's watching these guys and how you evaluate it versus what odds makers are evaluating while watching with their eyes which means it should help to you know watch these fights a little bit more intricately when it comes to some of the more we'll call them like intricate and like grappling type matches where i think you can find some really big edges against some non-trained eyes you know and you also even with all of that which i agree with all of that you still have to put it to the judges i think yep. the judges of the ufc are some of the most you know volatile <laughs> observers in the history of sport i mean some of these ufc fights you you clearly think it's going one way and they're like oh the other guy won you're like what we be watching the same thing i actually i wrote a column on uh, nesson about this, nick kalikas from circa and he said that's the hardest part about making the in-game number because the officials, or the judges rather, are such wild cards. He says oftentimes he's not on the same page with them, and he has to sort of recalibrate his number because even though he has belief in his number, he's not the one deciding the outcome. So that's another challenge for the odds makers on the in-game. Sam Paniotovich joined us here on Cofield Company in the Eye on Sports Gambling 
chicken x dinner chicken dinner podcast what's going on man who, who have you had <laughs> excuse me Ooh. whoa I'm really, I'm really excited about it's it that banana. it's that banana it's that banana at the bottom of the banana right there this is what you get don't believe the hype. No, th- th- this is just fake news that people are trying to use against us uh, bottom banana smart people. Now, what's going on in the podcast, man? Uh, who you had on? What's happening? Well, we had Mike North on, who's a Chicago radio legend. And I, I had to ask him because now he's in the gambling space. And Mike's been, he's been handicapping games for 30, 40 years or whatever. And I, I asked him because he covered Jordan in his prime. I said, you know, Mike, what would the number be? Like, how, at what number would you feel comfortable going under? Michael Jordan's point prop in a finals game. Like, what number would that be where you'd go, yeah, I'll go under that? If it's Jordan in the finals, I mean, he averaged 33 and a half in the playoffs. In the series against the Phoenix Suns in 93, Jordan averaged 41 points per game. So in the finals, I asked him, like, what number would you feel comfortable going under? And he's like, 35 and a half. And I said, really? And then he said, no, I'd have to go higher. So, I, I mean, you guys have seen Michael play. Candy, you've seen him more than JVT. Like, what's a number where you would feel comfortable going under Jordan in a finals game? It's totally hypothetical, but, I mean, you saw him score 50 times, many times in the finals. So, I think the one question that I got to ask you is, are the rules the rules from Jordan's day or are the rules the rules they are now? Because the rules that as they are now, I'm going to have to go a lot higher. Yeah, he's getting to the line 30 times if the rules are the way they are. Let's just let's leave him where he was in the past. We don't okay, have to compare so we, LeBron or Michael either, but if it's 90s basketball, like I, if I were a bookmaker and I was making a, a point prop on Jordan in the 90s in the finals, I'd have to make it like 36.5 to write good two-way, I would think. Yeah, I think 36.5 with the understanding you're probably going to get so much over that you're going to end up at 37.5 uh, by the time you're done because I, I don't know how you can say lower than that on a guy like Jordan. And I think the other thing you have to factor in, Sammy, when it comes to that, is that you know the one person who would know exactly what that number is? Michael Jordan. <laughs> and Michael Jordan would make yeah. damn sure that he went over whatever the prop was as soon as he heard about it. Yeah, but the thing about Jordan is, you know, he have you know, Jordan have fifty four points and two assists. You know, <laughs> it's like he's not passing the ball. He was efficient when he shot it, but you know, it's amazing when we talk about Michael and LeBron and, you know, JVT and I could go round and round about this, but like, you know, Michael would have, you know, 51, five and three, but LeBron has 34, 16 and 11, you know, they're fascinating in different ways. They're both extremely dominant, two of the best to ever do it, but they did it in such different ways. Well, before we open up the LeBron versus MJ camp, Lose the five o'clock hour entirely. Before we lose this hour entirely, we're going to let Sammy move on. Sam Paniotovich, find him on Nesson, find him on Fox Sports, find him on the Chicken Dinner Podcast. As always, man, appreciate the time. Be well. You guys have a good one. We'll talk later. Take it easy, bud. All right. Big five at five on the other side. I had a discussion with my significant other in which we tried to compare the biggest television event of the weekend to something that the three of us would understand, and we didn't quite get there. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.